It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the turn it up to 11 NBA playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. David? Yes? You know, I always love studying the status symbols of journalists. Oh, yeah. For instance, do you have a podcast? Mm-hmm. Do you have a newsletter? Are mm-hmm. you allowed to write long form? Yeah. Well, there's a new status symbol for journalists. Do you host the official podcast of an HBO quality drama? <laughs> I bring this up because New York Magazine profiler extraordinaire Olivia Nuzzi tweeted that she will be hosting the pod for the new show White House Plumbers, which comes out next month. Tara Swisher is already hosting the Succession pod. So, David, when will you be attaching yourself to an HBO drama that everybody already loves? I hosted uh, my Westworld, that Westworld podcast um, a couple years too early, I guess. If only that were coming along now, maybe they would identify the talent that we had on that show and make it the official podcast. I think I missed my window because the uh, the makers of Brockmire never called. <laughs> you would have been perfect for that. Well, one chance. You just do the rewatch. Start now. I love this because, of course, there's presumably money involved in hosting the official podcast of an HBO show. There's mm-hmm. proximity to Hollywood, which every journalist loves. Right. At some point in history... The whole saying about every journalist having a movie script in their desk drawer was replaced by a journalist having an idea for an HBO show mm-hmm. or three yeah. in their desk drawer. And then also, let's face it, if we did a YouGov poll of every journalist, would you like to keep your current job or be the quarterback of an HBO television series? <laughs> oh, wait, we just did the poll. 99% are going with HBO. Do you think the quarterback of an HBO podcast outranks the quarterback of an NFL franchise at this point in the journalism world? Wait a second. Quarterback, the podcast companion, or actually run the HBO oh, show? Oh, so run the HBO show yes. versus be a quarterback. I think so. 
What about quarterback the podcast versus be a quarterback? I still think I think the podcast still wins. Wait, podcasting has come up that much? Well, I think in the journalism world, you know, there'd be some justifiable trepidation about, you know, your measure success metrics on the on the playing field. We got to add this to two of my favorite journalist status symbols of recent years. Mm-hmm. Frank Rich, when he was still a journalist, now he mm-hmm. is actually producing Succession. Yeah. Among other shows. He was doing some work for New York Magazine. And one time he interviewed Chris Rock. I remember this. And they printed it. And Frank Rich had not written the introduction to the interview. <laughs> I mean, there was, he just went right into question one. Well, like somebody did like a third person intro. Oh, it's not like he had failed to do it. Someone just, just filled in the gaps for him. Okay. Yeah. So you came, you pushed record. You forwarded that audio file to your editor. For transcription, and then you're good. All good. I don't even have to write Chris Rock as one of the most interesting comedians of this or any age. You just, just skip that step entirely. Yeah. But the best one was Michael Lewis. When he profiled Barack Obama for Vanity Fair. Oh, I know. I remember this. The photos Vanity Fair used for the piece were of Obama with Michael Lewis. <laughs> yes. Yes. You wrote a profile of the president and the photos are of you. Mm-hmm. Now that's a status symbol. That is. That's usually reserved for only for like actors interviewing actors type pieces, you know? Totally. And this was before the age of, you know, I'm interviewing somebody for a podcast. I'm going to take an Instagram photo of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, shaking hands next to the mics. Yeah. Michael Lewis and Obama. If you don't believe me, look this up. I swear to God it happened. Maybe is it, but is Michael Lewis like the like the like the the newspaper and the ransom photograph of that thing where it's just like, well, we know there's like <laughs> Obama has a White House photographer. These could have been taken at any point in time. This proves that Michael Lewis was there and they were taking pictures, and those are the pictures are from the interview. You're saying Vanity Fair wanted to establish that they do expensive photography on their own. <laughs> and they, as if they needed to prove that point. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, the NBA playoffs began this weekend. We've got an old guy still got an alert, a nightmare storyline for basketball writers, and a new golden age of NBA play-by-play. Then we bring you the very latest on the 2024 presidential race, including the booing of Mike Pence and the end of Pompeo mania. Plus, how to sound smart about this week's Fox News trial. All that and more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, producer Erica Cervantes here. David, how about we start with a weekend's worth of TV notes about the NBA playoffs? On Sunday, we had an old guy still got a klaxon going off when LeBron James and the Lakers beat the Grizzlies in game one. Mm -hmm. There was even a Matt Iglesias tweet about middle-aged people needing to root for LeBron that Nick Field sent along. Best thing about the old guy still got its storyline in sports is you don't have to wait that long for it to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. You had to wait a good 40, 50 years to start writing those stories about Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. That new movie at Con, is that going to be any good this year? Did he, did he adapt David Grand the right way? With sports, you just do it instantly. Like LeBron James won the NBA title 
three yeah, years there's, ago. There literally, there, there literally doesn't have to be any time between this guy is the goat and the old guy still got it. Gray-haired Kevin Love playing for the Miami Heat. Don't know if you got a glimpse of that this weekend. Mm-hmm. Really felt like the true old guy watershed moment. It's funny that the gray hair is more. That the gray hair is so much rarer, because like in the real world, the gray hair is, you know, it just it, it's it's not that big of a deal, right? Especially if you have a full head of hair with a little bit of gray in it. There's some dignity to that, right? Yeah, silver fox. Yeah, we're not talking about like a skullet or anything, you know, with like long gray st- strands in the back. But anyway, yeah, no, no, yeah, Kevin Love. Definitely holding it down the, in the old man corner. Maybe he's just looking for the old guy still got it recognition. Maybe he's really he's really trying to grab onto that. He's leaning in. Yeah, because otherwise you're like, man, Kevin Love's really lost a step. But with the gray hair, you have to you immediately go, old guy still got it. I'm not just a useful player. I'm fighting back Father Time here. Mm-hmm. One more, one more run in me. I felt sorry for our sports writer friends on press row on Sunday. Oh, why? The big story was not great basketball players doing things. It was great basketball players getting hurt. This was an injury report just from Sunday. Mm-hmm. Giannis Antetokounmpo out for the remainder of game one. The Lakers' Anthony Davis out for the remainder of the first half because he couldn't lift his arm. Oh. The Grizzlies' John Morant in jeopardy for game two with a hand injury and the heat's Tyler hero out for game two with a broken hand. That was just Sunday. Yeah. And you know what we love to do as sports writers during the NBA playoffs. Mm -hmm. We like to treat every game like a referendum on who's better. Yeah. Or at least ask, what did we learn from game one? Yeah. Of sons Clippers say, Mm -hmm. and then there's an injury and, the answer is nothing. <laughs> the answer is nothing. Well, the honest answer is nothing. Yeah. And we don't get to overread every single game in the playoffs, which is the fun thing to do. But it's like, it's almost worse than nothing because it's like an inverted something. Rosillo was on Bill's pod today and I think made the, made, you know, a, a very smart point, which is just like, I never want to overreact to game one, no matter what happens. We always come out of game one thinking one thing and, and, that only it never bears out to be true, you know. It almost never matters. It's like, but but when you when someone's injured, then you're like, wow, the Bucks really got killed. But Giannis wasn't there, and so if Giannis were there, that's the implicit part. If Giannis had been there, it would have been a very different story. Well, we really don't know that either. We don't know anything, but we're like intuiting something from this nothing. I know, and you're left with one of those phrases I heard all day Sunday. You know, this injury, this could be a game changer, or yeah. even a series changer. Mm-hmm. So while you're telling me if Giannis doesn't play <laughs> one of, if not the best basketball players in the world, that this could be a game changer. Yep. Thanks guys for that. One guy did not find this to be such a take killer. And that was Stephen A. Smith. This was at halftime of the Lakers Grizzlies game. And dude, this is why Stephen A. is better at his job than you and I are. Mm-hmm. He's better at his job than anybody else who does that kind of job. Yeah. Because Anthony Davis gotten hurt basically going up for a rebound. He got tangled up. He mouths, I can't lift my arm. Everybody in Lakers land is like, oh my God, our season is now completely over. If they had cut to you and I at halftime, we'd be sitting there all somber, all sad. Here is Stephen A. finding a way to get a strong take out of Anthony Davis's injury. I 
Without question. I don't want to hear anything about LeBron James in the block or the fast break dunk or whatever Jaron Jackson is doing right now. Anthony Davis, are you, is he is he playing again? Because I'm telling you right now, we're here in the city of the angels. We're in Los Angeles. In this city, if he can't go and he's injured, uh, this city will be done with him. They'll be done with him. And I won't blame him. So you see here at the end, he's getting to the second take, which is Lakers fans being like, man, AD's injured again. This happens all the time. Mm-hmm. But the first part of that, he was mad at the idea that somebody would be talking about anything but Anthony Davis's injury at halftime. Mm-hmm. Reminder, this is happened like minutes before halftime. Right. And there was even a little meta media criticism in there because I don't want to hear about LeBron's block, LeBron's dunk. Those had actually been the sponsored elements of the halftime show, like the meta quest <laughs> play of the half or whatever it was. That was amazing. I'm just, I'm, I don't want to hear you talk about anything but this incredibly consequential injury that just happened. Yeah. Don't you dare try to change the subject on me. That's why he's better at his job than we are. Yeah, but a couple of times I tuned into the halftime show on Saturday, or the studio show, and it just seemed like Greenberg, Mike Greenberg was just like goofing on Stephen A. Smith every time I turned it on. Talking about how he wasn't, how he left the studio to go to the bathroom to much like laughter and <laughs> making fun of his orange blazer. Is this is this a directive from on high? Just like let's take the piss out of Stephen A. Just for everybody's enjoyment. That or, sounds to me exactly like inside the NBA. Yeah, but that's not what you identify Greeny and Stephen A. with. Mm-mm. Also, that friendship, the relationship on inside is sort of earned, right? <laughs> For years and years of watching this, this just felt a little like I'm sure Stephen A. Smith and my Greenberger friends, we see them on TV together a lot, but it just felt a little bit forced, which made it deeply uncomfortable to me. To me, I'm sure average viewer, average Joe viewers loved it. One of the interesting things about that show is they completely reoriented it around Stephen A., mm-hmm. which is something that should make you kind of squint a little bit. Mm-hmm. And maybe even think, is this the best idea? But it is so much better than the last version of that show. Yeah. It is way, way better. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Got an instant think piece for you. I haven't done okay. one of these in a while. Uh, here's my nut graph or my nut sentence. We are in the golden age of NBA play by play announcing. Oh, okay. We got Mike Breen. Sure. We got Kevin Harlan. One of the best. They did a very nice, seamless handoff from game to game on Sunday. Yeah. We got Ian Eagle. Love him. Soon to be joining us on national broadcast during the playoffs. Uh-huh. I submit that I cannot remember a better big three in NBA play-by-play mm. in my lifetime. There have been some great ones, but in terms of feeling like if this is a big game that's on ESPN or Turner, I will most likely be in really, really good hands. And that sure. all three guys are in their primes, which for announcers is like 30s to 60s. And we occasionally see people push either side of that. Harlan 62, Breen 61, Eagle 54. Yeah. What say you? I agree. I agree. I was admiring the sort of seamlessness of the whole thing when I was watching the like Dave Pash and Hubie Brown call the game the other night. You know, I mean, it's like Dave Pash is like that's like, he's a Cardinals announcer. Yeah, I mean, he's a, or an Arizona Cardinals and uh, play-by-play guy. Um, you know, this is a side gig for him, and he was doing. I mean, he was he was out there 
I should be, be doing a Hubie Brown impression as I'm as I'm uh, <laughs> describing Dave Pash's <laughs> announcing. I realize that, but I'm not going to go into the second person just for the benefit of the audience. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're right. It's um, you know, and they're they're all they got these big time games. Obviously, the NBA Finals will be a different stage, but all these games just sort of running back to back. You really get to appreciate the quality, right? You get to see, like you said, the seamless handoff. Um, I don't know. I think that I don't. I don't know. I'm sure you've talked to people about this. I don't know if in, calling an NBA game is easier than calling a football game. Obviously, a totally different skill set than calling a baseball game because that's more of a storyteller. Or well, prior to this fast paced season, certainly more of a storyteller's genre. But like, um, but yeah, I mean, it's the NBA just has like all those announcers working at such a high level, you almost want to get, I, I want to read the think piece. Why is it so like, why are they all so good right now? I think part of it's timing. I think part of it is the fact that all three of those guys, Breen, Harlan and Eagle were all basketball guys. First and foremost. Yeah. Their first big jobs for the uh, Knicks and for the Nets and for the Kansas city Kings in Harlan's case. So even though Harlan and Eagle do other sports, they've really got the pace and the feel of a basketball game really well. Yeah. I think what's also interesting is they are three different flavors of ice cream. Mm -hmm. In an interesting way, Eagle is a cat skills comedian mm -hmm. in many ways. Very East Coast. Yeah, we Harlan, talked about that. Yeah. Harlan has the Midwest father-in-law vibes. Mm-hmm. Green Bay by way of Kansas City and Mike Breen just makes very hard things look so freaking easy all the time. I also think what's interesting about those three is they're very unjaded huh. about the sport they cover. We've had a lot of really good announcers that have that edge to them. Yeah. That, you know, you're absolutely gonna, right about this. I'm going to call a great game, but I'm just going to kind of give you a little like here we go. Another day at the office. I never feel that way about any of those three guys. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm open to both approaches. Nothing, nothing wrong with a little edge, but they just feel like they love basketball and that they would not want to be anywhere else but calling those games. Yeah. I wonder if that's to do with their influences, too. I mean, you'd have to talk. You've talked to all of them and you'd have to ask specifically. But I but, you know, it, there were great football announcers, obviously legendary football and baseball announcers, but that from the previous generation. But they were so singular, and there was something about our when we were kids, listening to Marv Albert or Bob Costas, whoever calling the NBA games, that maybe there was something that sort of influences them all in different ways. You know, it, but it does. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, you can see here a lot of Marv in both Breen and Eagle. Them and Marv was a car, Marv was was a cartoon character version of an announcer in so many ways, but he wasn't singular in the way that, I don't know, like some of the real legends of football or baseball are. He was an announcer. He was a, he was a play by play guy. And I, and, and you could learn a ton from it. Mm -hmm. And also had that idea of being a really good play by play announcer. And then also having this other gear to be funny. Yeah. Kind of wink at the audience just a little bit here and there. Yeah. Uh, tell a joke like you were the only person in the audience who got it, mm -hmm. and Eagle's not an, probably not an inside, not not a not a nobody knows I got a belt of whiskey in my jacket pocket joke, like an actual like smart joke. Mm -hmm. 
No, but the influences thing is interesting. And I just, I don't know. I mean, those, and they just have a ton of reps. I mean, too, right. It's like, it's not the, let's go find an announcer who does another sport that we like mm-hmm. and put him right here and suffer kind of through some really good announcing, but somebody who does not feel like they are an organic part of the NBA. Mm-hmm. All three of those guys do. Do you, can I ask you a question? Sure. I think we were on a text thread together this weekend about some color commentators. You were there, right? Yeah, I was. I without revealing anything else. Do you? Th- I, 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 I have an argument I want to float. Okay. Or or a theory I want to float. I don't know how much how strongly I believe in this. Instant think piece. One might instant say. think piece is the only. If you're, this isn't specific to basketball. In across the sports, the only color commentator shtick that actually has legs that has l- long term success is being a cheerleader, being a rah rah. I just I'm just happy to be here, guy. Mm. because the the good ones the smart ones the incisive ones all just it's it's all very short it's all they don't flame out in some sort of like super negative way but they hit a high and it's never the same i don't know if it's that it's too much work that you have to be super close to the game whatever we all make fun of you know chris collinsworth's like you're like oh you know it's all shuck stuff and and uh and and hubie brown but it's just like it's that uh, Hubie Brown's been doing this for a hundred years, and it's just the like, man, this is just the coolest. Every game is the coolest thing he's ever done. It's the biggest change that's happened in my lifetime. What you're describing is the color commentator going from a guy who is blowing people up on television pretty frequently, <laughs> yeah, to a guy who is telling you that this is the greatest performance and that this is basketball, football, whatever played at its highest possible level. Mm-hmm. The calculus completely changed for networks i think in the 80s and even into the 90s it was really going off the old howard cosell jockocracy thing Mm -hmm. if you're going to be a jock you have to be a journalist too and the way you earn your stripes is by killing people who may be people that you used to play against yeah or that you're in the same social world as. Now it's the reverse. If you want to be a journalist, you got to be a jock too, right? I mean, you almost kind of have to like be part of the team. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's funny. And like the, the old world was, I mean, if you remember like Bill Walton and Steve Jones calling the NBA finals on NBC, that was the mm-hmm. old world. Bill Walton now who's in the Uncle Sam outfit and, you know, just talking Grateful Dead on college games. That was not the way he was as an NBA announcer. He was very, very, very critical. And he was out there, you know, just like, like I'm kind of like a talk show host making points out here. Mm-hmm. And the whole world is flipped. And I do miss the old world a little bit because I think it was just possible people could have a bad game. I will say the one exception that proves the rule you, you mentioned is probably Jeff Van Gundy. And maybe you could also put Mark Jackson in there because I don't feel... You're right. are, this is the greatest performance I've ever seen, guys. You're absolutely right. Van Gundy's one of one, though. Uh-huh. And that's, what I think, what makes him fun. But it's also not shtick. I mean, if, it, if, if part of the... Maybe he's the exception that proves the rule. Because if there's... Because if it's a... And I don't mean to imply that anybody's, like, not working hard at their job. But when you're closer to the game, it obviously... When you're fresh out of playing, it takes a lot more day-to-day homework to prep for a game. You know, I mean, and I think most, most people who watch sports probably have no concept of how many hours, you know, how just what the amount of time it takes to prep for a game adequately to be able to call it like you're like like you were there playing the day before to really be Absolutely. in depth. And in basketball, 
the degree of difficulty is so much higher than football because even though there's fewer players, you're calling a different team every day. Like every at least every second day, you got to know everything about the Indiana Pacers, and then after that, the you know the the Pelicans or whoever. I think one of the I loved Van Gundy. There's almost no one better than him. I don't even know who I would put above him as far as color guys go. But the th- the way that Jeff my my favorite Jeff Van Gundy moments are when he pops up on Zach Lowe's podcast and just. He's a little bit takes him a little moment to gather his thoughts, like like unlike when he's on the when he's calling a game, but he knows everything. Like he is so in tune with what's going on that the amount of work that he clearly puts in researching, watching film might make him the exception of the rule. That's my only yeah. defense. Think piece. Well, we'll get back to it. He has to because the windows he gets to talk and during a basketball game are so much smaller than a football announcer's mm-hmm. windows. Plus, he's got to share time with Mark Jackson. Plus, he's got to be a looming coaching candidate every season. So he's got to be <laughs> he's got to know every player's tendencies in the entire league. One more instant think piece for you. We are in a golden age for basketball announcing puns. <laughs> Go on. You need three examples to write a think piece. So let me give you three. Ian Eagle, master of the good bad pun. Mm. Jim Nance calling this year's NCAA tournament felt was very pun heavy. Almost if he was like greasing the wheels when he turns over the mic to Eagle on that broadcast next year. Mm -hmm. And example number three, David, comes from Sunday. When the Lakers' Austin Reeves went off in the second half against the Grizzlies, ESPN's Mark Jackson said this. This just in, Austin Powers. Austin Powers. <laughs> and let me let me do you one better, David. How about a fourth example? Mm-hmm. This is a hell of a think piece now. When the Lakers' Rui Hachimura went off, Mark Jackson went back to the hole one more time. Van Gundy said he's okay with Hachimura taking a shot. I call this a Rui awakening. A Rui <laughs> awakening. <laughs> oh no. We may not be the perfect messengers for this point. But I feel broadcast may be getting a little too pun heavy. If you saw Rui Awakening, well, okay, I guess if it made the home, if it made a, a newspaper front page, that would validate it. But if someone tweeted Rui Awakening at you, would it even bear, would it even garner mention on the podcast? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I might be writing it down for the uh, overworked Twitter joke of the week. Speaking of which, David. Mm. Coming up in 30 seconds, the latest from the 2024 presidential campaign or no more Pompeo in circumstance. But first, let us do that overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Senior nominees to at the Press Box Pod where they are always gratefully received. Today's winner, which is less a joke than a kind of generalized anger, came from the tweets about the hellish parade of ads for the show Dr. Pimple Popper, <laughs> which kept popping up during the NBA playoffs, pun intended. <laughs> Some examples. It's wild that Dr. Pimple Popper got more playing time than insert player tonight. <laughs> Please outlaw Dr. Pimple Popper commercials in the new CBA. <laughs> and finally, I can't wait until Dr. Pimple Popper breaks down the Warriors-Kings game at halftime tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks to Rob Pollard and Michael L. Avery. If you thought Dr. Pimple Popper made Evil Dead Rise look like the third man, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, in the notebook dump, I want to give you a new feature, David. This week in 2024, mm. get us all caught up in the nascent, only a journalism word, mm-hmm. presidential campaign. Uh, on Friday afternoon, Fox News carried a big update on 2024. Let us listen closely, maybe for the last time, to Mike Pompeo. I have made a decision, Brett. I was on your show a number of months back, and you asked what I was going to do in 2024. And Susan and I have now been thinking about this, working at it, and have prayerfully come to the conclusion that we're not going to join the race in 2024. That while uh, we care deeply about America and the issues that I've been talking about this last year and a half, and frankly for decades, matter an awful lot, this isn't our moment. This isn't the time for us to seek elected office. What was your favorite part of the Mike Pompeo presidential campaign? I thought you were going to say that announcement. I don't, I, I don't know what the, I'm so confused by this. We made so many jokes about whether or not he was actually running for president and why on earth he was pretending to run for president. But what was the point of bowing out at this point? Is it because he's got, he has, they, they were going to, do you think the producers of this week or whatever were just like, we can promise you a segment if you bow out today. But if you put this off for a month, we can't promise you a one-on-one. Well, it was on Brett Bear's show on Friday. Oh, that's afternoon. right. It was on Brett Bear. So I was going to call it a Friday news dump, but then his whole campaign was kind of a Friday news dump. Mm-hmm. Remember when he went to Ukraine and nobody noticed? Yeah. It wasn't a daring visit to a cherished ally. It was a, the answer to the trivia question, what's a thing nobody noticed during Trump indictment week? Mm-hmm. So your question is, why would you bow out now? That's, I think, the right question, I guess the companion would be, why would you bow in given all the evidence? Well, I guess even so if far, you're even if you're wrongheaded, if even if you're delusional enough to think if if he's delusional enough to have thought that he had a chance, it's very conceivable that delusion did not include Trump running again, right? He never had a chance. But even if he thought he had a chance, he could still have believed he, he still could say 
well, you know, I can't beat Trump clearly because I worked in Trump's pre- in in his cabinet. Like that's not my. There's no lane there for me. So I guess Trump really, really functionally running might have talked. I don't know. It's so dumb. But why he ever thought it was possible in the first place was just bonkers. Has there ever been a secretary of state with such a low profile in the modern era with such a relatively low profile, but low approval rating at the same time? I mean, it's just I can't Um, think of I can't. Do we have any Rex Tillerson surveys lately? Because that yeah, happened. But, but Rex Tillerson was like, I think, widely seen as just like a dupe, right? I mean, like he was. <laughs> Is that just 99% no opinion? Yeah. I mean, I, or I guess people dislike the idea of him, but whether or not it was like him as a person. Didn't he stand up to Trump before he walked out the door? Wasn't that the deal with Rex? He definitely had one of the many, many, this you've gone too far moments. Yeah, the adults in the room moments. Mm-hmm. But Pompeo is like, yeah, Pompeo is is sort of like a figment of the imagination. He only exists to people booking Sunday shows. I'm not sure that he actually, without that Brit Bear clip, I'm not sure that he actually is a human being. So the obvious reason he dropped out is because his polls look terrible. Yeah. He's not going to beat Trump. But listen to how he answered when Brit Bear asked him, are you dropping out because you're losing? When you made that decision, uh, were you thinking about how what lane you would take and how you would go up against your former boss, former President Trump. If you look at the latest polls, yeah. he's up you know, exponentially on the nearest competitor. Did that factor in? No, not at all. Not at all. Mm. Not one single bit. By the way, yeah. do you know, David, do you know what presidential candidates drop out after? What? After much consideration. <laughs> and if they're Republicans, after much consideration and prayer. Yeah, I that's like that. Time. that. That's how you know. I would love also, for somebody just to go off script on that one. Wouldn't you love just to be like, I really haven't thought this over very much, but. <laughs> Making I, a rash I, judgment. Yeah. A rush to judgment I'm here. I'm leaving my options open, but for, as for today, I'm definitely not going to be not running for president. <laughs> today, I'm going to the bar. <laughs> also, Nothing 20- I do today counts for my presidential campaign. Speaking of people who are... Uh, Looking for Elaine, former Vice President Mike Pence wants you to listen to his reception at the Leadership Summit of the National Rifle Association. I love you too. And welcome back to the Hoosier State. I was going to ask you, David, what a presidential candidate should do when they get booed at a conservative function, but I'm also interested in how Mike Pence's entrance music is Kid Rock's Born Free. <laughs> Should we do entrance music power rankings sometime soon? I would love to. Or just re- or, or just don't, let's not talk about it for a couple months and try to just match the candidate to the in- to the walkout music. I think it's going to be really hard with Republicans. Because it's all I Kid Rock you, right now. If everybody I, yeah, else give is you Kid woke. Rock, you'd be like, yeah, all of them? <laughs> Except Trump. Trump's the one that always just randomly walks out to just like a like a disco classic or something. The for tiny no Dancer. Yeah. Wasn't YMCA in his YMCA thing too? YMCA was a big one, yeah. He had he had all the hits of the 70s, 80s, and today. That was amazing. Uh, number three uh, news item here, David, and much more important than Mike Pence getting booed, is a bunch of Republicans not being able to answer questions about abortion. 
That was big all week. Uh, yeah. Listen to CBS's Caitlin Huey Burns try to get a straight answer from another guy test driving a presidential campaign, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. As a pre- as president, if you were president, would you advocate for federal limits? Yeah. So once again, I, I once again, I'm 100% pro-life, and I, I do believe so, yes. that. No, that's not what I said. I, I do believe that we should have a robust conversation about what's happening in the on a very important topic. Robust conversation, another great political phrase. There is a professional wrestler who will remain nameless, but he's one of the greats of our entire lives. Who I, every time, every time I, he's interviewed, says "and again" to start every sentence, and it has no correlation to whether or not something has been previously stated. It's just a tick. I love, I love that that we saw the same thing here. And again, but I like in politics, it has a sort of weight to it because it makes it's trying to imply one that you've already answered the question. Right. Yes, I've already been big. we've already been through this. But two, that you're sort of in the middle of things. Oh, you took that out of context, right? You know, like this is not that was, you know, even if it's the way you begin a statement, um this was something that we saw over and over and over again. It's uh Tim Scott, by the way, talking about somebody who I thought was a dupe, and now who I weirdly think might be I mean, he might be running for vice president, but it certainly is weirdly like the most compelling candidate who I see clips of ever on the Republican side that's not named Donald Trump. He just has like a certain something about him, which I was um, constantly shocked to see. This was not this clip did not wrap him in glory in any sort of certain way, although it did. I don't think he's it. I mean, I'm not here to defend Tim Scott. Every Republican is tripping over themselves this week because they finally like got what they wanted or what they've you know, what they've been semi seriously pushing for for the past 20 years and now that's going to lose them the election presumably or potentially you know i mean i think they're all looking at numbers you listen nobody says i'm 100 percent pro-life but nobody throws nobody gets to but without seeing polling that is really conclusive right the big one was ron DeSantis signing that bill in florida banning most abortions after Mm -hmm. six weeks yeah and it was announced at 11 p.m mm-hmm despite the bill being signed much earlier. Yeah. Like, let's find a way to just bury this. Mm-hmm. But... We saw all those guys. I mean, even like the 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 rightiest of the right-wing online voices slash trolls was, come, was going, you know, went bonkers online after Wisconsin. You know, just like, it's all over for us style, you know? I mean, and why would that be your readout? You know, why would that be the immediate takeaway, especially when your job is... Is being is to be part of the PR is to, you know is, is just the hype machine right like why like why get so down nobody wanted to win elections anyway none of this was ever serious to some extent but now it's it does seem it does seem like there's a lot of doomsaying going on that whether or not you consider that a a a positive thing for all they had for all that like for everything that we've had to give up women have had to give up to get to this point to to lose to get to this point well that's it's that's a really tenuous argument but it does seem like all that is finally stacking up finally the republican party has become the party it's it's played played to played at being to its base for the past 20 30 40 years and turns out that that's not a winning party it's not a that's not a winning platform i noted this uh tweet from caitlin huey burns who was Uh, interviewing Tim Scott there. She says, I've covered abortion policy and politics extensively. 
I don't inject any personal opinion, but I also think context helps when understanding gestational limit laws. I'm on my second pregnancy right now, and I wasn't even allowed to be seen by my OBGYN until I was eight weeks. Whoa. Last thing for you, David, today. How to sound smart about the Fox News Dominion voting systems trial. Mm -hmm. Trial starts this week. It was delayed until Tuesday. Did you see any of the pictures of the media writers lined up outside the Delaware courtroom this morning? No, I've not seen any of the pictures today. (laughs) These are the, I love media writers, first of all. And there's very rarely like a media writer professional event. Mm Mm-hmm. Talking to Andrew Marchand about this in the Super Bowl because we were at the same party. It was like we never, w- nobody ever gets to see each other. Yeah, it's not a press box for the media writer mm-hmm. per se. So all these people are outside the courtroom, and it's so funny because these are the people who would criticize CNN for showing Trump's car pulling up to the Manhattan courtroom, mm-hmm. and they were all taking pictures and tweeting them like, "Here is the line." <laughs> Thanks, guys. Turns out some interest in Fox News going on trial. Ah, that's great. Yeah. If you want a full briefing on this, NPR's David Falkenflake came on the pod last week and was had the great so 30 minutes answer every question, right? Mm-hmm. Love David Falkenflake. Here is the two-minute version of that. Two points I think you can make that I learned in real time from him that I thought were especially interesting about this. Point one, and this is worth just stating outright, Fox News is not going to go out of business as a result of this trial. Even if the maximum penalty that Dominion has asked for, which is what was it, $1.8 billion, $1.7 billion? Yeah, something like that. Fox had $3 billion in cash as of February, according to the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Fox editorially is not going to change much at all except carving out the possibly defamatory material from its newscasts. <laughs> Or it's opinion telecast. Yeah. They are still just going to treat Joe Biden like they've ever treated him and treat anything like they've ever treated. Mm -hmm. I I read some pieces and there's some nut graphs that had doomy words like existential moment for Fox News or whatever it was. You got to show me what that means. Well, okay. So the the argument for the existential moment is like is is set opposite the idea of actual ramifications. Right, they're not going to go out of business. So is so instead, is this an existential crisis wherein the people at the top, Rupert Murdoch, his son, has to stare down the potential that lying is going to be painful? It was going to is going to present a problem for moving forward. Yes, and I think there's definitely like a how do we stop this from happening again? Because we don't want to get dragged into court. Mm-hmm. I would just submit that like non-defamatory Fox programming. Oh, yeah. And this, if you're a normal viewer, are you really going to be able to understand the difference between those things? If Tucker Carlson's just on there being like, January 6th, kind of overrated by the media. That's Nobody's going to trial for that. You're right. No, exactly right. That's still happening. If they they had a, if, 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 you know, all of the Fox brain trust got into a time machine and went back to election night. Let's hope it's not a Dominion time machine because that would presumably send them to some place <laughs> that they didn't intend on going and lock like them in Caracas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if they got into a time machine they the, the, and went and had to do it all over again, the result would not be, yes, the election was fair. I hope all everyone watching this, watching this network understands that. No, they would just find another 
boogeyman, probably something that would not get them in legal trouble. Yes. Yes. They would just do, do, do a different version that wouldn't land them in court. Yeah. Which is already the vast majority of Fox programming. I mean, Dominion for what uh, I, I think that the problem with Dominion, even in terms of a, as an entertainment tool, is that it was sort of weirdly too specific. It was too conspiracy theory. It was too tangible. Um, they just need a buzzword. <laughs> Not to mention wrong. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that's why I think that I think that the the reason that they're getting sued over it is the same reason why I think it was actually bad propaganda. I don't mean to tell them what to do better, but it's much easier just to sort of. I don't think I frankly think the Soros stuff is sort of empty outside of the anti the anti Semitic angle. I mean, it's just like it's things are more than a buzzword. And as soon as you get people Googling stuff online to like, and trying to figure out what you're talking about. And as soon as people learn the conspiracy theory, you sort of lost as in <laughs> I'm giving them, I'm, I'm helping them too much. I think yeah, that, by, by giving them credit. But anyway, uh, point number two here for you. Let's jump in that time machine and go back to election night. All right. Because I think one thing full conflict said that's so fascinating to me is the first domino that falls here that winds up with Fox potentially in a Delaware courtroom this week, mm -hmm. barring some last minute settlement is the fact that Fox called or the decision desk called Arizona for Joe Biden on election night. Oh yeah. They're the first election, the first uh, news organization to do that. That basically meant Biden was going to win the election. Mm -hmm. if you believed he had won Arizona. And of course he would eventually won Arizona. There is a statistically based controversy about that call, which is above my pay grade. And I believe your pay grade. Too. Yes. Yeah. But, what happened was when Fox called Arizona for Biden, it pissed off Trump and his allies. Mm -hmm. When Trump spent the next couple of weeks trying to steal the election, that call became a data point about how Fox was insufficiently loyal to Trump. Yeah. We saw in those emails and messages that came out as part of this trial that Fox executives panicked in that moment. Mm -hmm. And then those conspiracy theories started getting airtime. Yeah, because they be, because if they, if right if they hadn't made that call, then the legitimacy of the Arizona race could have been the entire story, right? Then you then or you could you could have still been talking about Pennsylvania. It, it just beca it becomes a matter of of counting electoral votes and not a matter of the votes that we've already deemed counted or somehow counterfeit. That's when you have to start looking into the conspiracy theory. It's uh, just fascinating to me that it all goes back to that. Mm -hmm. And again, maybe, as you say, maybe there's a maybe that is like a direct link or maybe there's a version of that where they don't call Arizona and the same thing winds up happening because there's this enormous pressure from Trump and his allies to say, you must support me right now. But yeah, when but you it, understand that fact. The whole story just gets that much more interesting. Yeah, but but that's just I mean, that's why the whole story is interesting is the is the tension that is presented by a by this quote unquote news organization that also wants to be a disinformation organization, like whatever, like you, like if they would be better off not keeping up the pretense of being some, uh, of being pure news in any, in any, in any form or fashion. And then they wouldn't have the problem of pure news accidentally messing up the rest of the show. Right. I mean, it's like, you don't like, it's 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 so it's a, such a funny have your cake and eat it sort of thing like like they put themselves in a situation by lying all the time yes but more but frankly and more significantly by trying to be by pretend by, by keeping up this facade of of legitimacy 
If they hadn't been messing with the legitimacy, they would have never been in this problem, never had this problem. Why are you fu- why are you funding your election desk? Like why are, why are you paying for algorithms? Like why? <laughs> All you care about is the way that your hosts react. Speaking of a feature whose legitimacy is never questioned, it's time for David Shoemaker guesses the strain pun headline. Yeah. Last Monday's headline about John Rom's victory at the Masters was there's Rom at the top. <laughs> we got votes for Green Rom. Like green jacket and top rom. As in, yeah, I like that. Top rom. noodles. Thanks to Molly Warren. Uh, today's headline comes from Michael G. and Palmer Eldridge. It's from Slate, David, my old home. Slate was writing about those revelations in ProPublica. The Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas not only took some trips with Texas billionaire Harlan Crow, but that Crow bought properties co-owned by Thomas. How are we not talking about this more? This, this news is dropping on weird days, but yes, go on. Obviously, it's a scandal when you have a financial relationship with somebody like Crow, whose interest could potentially be before the court. Let that seep into your head and answer. What was Slate's strain pun headline? I would just like to say before I get into it that there's that Supreme Court Justice being a Supreme Court justice has a lot of things going for it. Dodging journal, dodging questions from journalists is maybe the, one of the top things. Like, is there, is there any, there's absolutely no obligation, nor real, <laughs> like no one's really wondering why he's not talking more. You get to live in a totally like enclosed world. Is the problem? Well, you get to live no on one of Harlan Crow's yachts too, but like, <laughs> but no, but no one's like, no one's like, you know, he has to, he's like, he must answer these questions. He must like, like, no, he's a Supreme Court justice. It's like better than being king or queen. Is the obstacle here the, the lack of a hallway like we have in Congress? <laughs> no, I think it's a lack, lack of a precedent. I don't know what it would look like for a Supreme Court justice to be answering questions. Mm-mm, no. Do you, what would, would they be on the stand? Would they be in a hallway? I don't know. Would they be on a podium somewhere? They give interviews from time to time. No, Very but that's rarely. that's different. I mean, you know what the sixty minutes interview or whatever with like RBG looks like, but that's not that's some, that's a different thing. Honestly, anyway, I think it's the hallway. You wear your Mitch robe? McConnell's in the news. We chase Mitch McConnell until he gets to his office. But you, we don't even know where they take the robes off. Like we don't know that's what, what I mean. the, the yeah. You can't picture it. That's why it's so difficult. Anyway, uh, okay, sorry. So the problem is that you're friendly with Crow. Mm-hmm. Too uh, friendly with Crow. Too friendly. Perhaps crow, entangled with crow. Crow's feet, crow's nest, crow's, uh, crow, mm. crow. You don't want people to messy. intimate that if crow gave something to you, you would be forced to give quid something pro back. Crow, quid pro quid pro crow. Quid pro crow. That's great. I think I don't, I no one right. can say that, but yes, that's amazing. <laughs> he is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic. By Erica Cervantes, I am back later in the week with Pressbox Final Edition. And then on Monday, Shoemaker and I return on the official podcast of the newsroom. Oh. Where lukewarm takes about the beat. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. <laughs>